there's a decrease in the mechanical, metabolic and mental health of, and well-being of all young people in our communities. That, 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 them, them's the facts. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So this is a part two on the Pacey Performance Podcast. It's just been seven years in the making. So Kelvin Giles appeared on the Pacey Performance Podcast number 84, which was way, way back. So it's been a long time coming. So in this episode, we revisit some of the themes that we chatted about way back then. What's changed? And Kelvin gives a really interesting insight with lots and lots of data on why we need to change the narrative when it comes to developing youth athletes, but more importantly, just our youth population. So what kind of issues is today's society and the decisions made by people higher up the chain in elite sport and out of elite sport creating for our for the youth of today? So injuries, lack of participation, nutrition, so many things in there that those in elite sport can help with if we change this narrative. So a really interesting episode coming up with Kelvin. So anyone that's working youth sport, this will be directly uh, influential for, but anyone who's involved in sport, this is something you need to listen to. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? So for pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximise athletic potential like never before. Widely used by top flight rugby, football, cricket and motorsports teams already in post-game changing rooms, away game travel, hotels or at home. Hytro has proven that creating their simple and effective wearables allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. To find out how Hytro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge, visit hytro.com or email the team at teamsales at hytro.com. Also sponsoring this episode is RockDaisy. RockDaisy's athlete management system provides a powerful competitive advantage to elite sports leagues around the world. If you're looking for a solution that enables you to centralize, analyze, and visualize your data, check out rockdaisy.com and sign up for a free trial. So without further ado, over to the episode with Kelvin. Kelvin Giles, welcome back to the Pacey Performance Podcast. I'll say this before you before you say anything else, and you were, you were quite surprised at this. Your name, in a positive way, is one of the most mentioned names who comes up on the podcast when I when I when I speak to guests about people that have influenced them, especially those in Australia. So, mm. welcome back to the Pacey well, Performance Podcast. Well, that's that's that, that's heartening. Thank, that's very nice to hear that. Very good. Very humbling. Blimey. I've got, I've got lots of enemies, but I didn't think I've got that many friends. 
And it was Jason Weber that mentioned Jason. your name a couple of weeks ago. Jason. I remember getting emails from Jason. He'd written at 2 o'clock in the morning. And, and that's how intense that guy is. Good man yeah. as well, a good yeah. man. Absolutely. So, and he'd mentioned your name. I scribbled it down and I thought, I can't, I can't keep scribbling Kelvin's name down um, like this without without reaching out. So thank you for coming on and, and giving up some pleasure. Friday evening. Uh, pleasure, pleasure. Would you mind just giving a bit of a background on you? So you're a, you're, you're a Brit in Australia. Yeah. Would you mind just giving us a bit of a, a backstory of how that came well, about? Oh, look, I'm 77 now, so when you get to my age, it goes up. You'll use the whole hour going back to all the stuff I did. Look, I started as a, as a PE teacher in the UK, teaching PE in Birmingham, having been through Madeley College of Education, where I was guided by Ian Ward and Wilf Pace and the crew there, and got into PE teaching, uh, w- went to the States, uh, and w- went into my master's degree and did some other coaching, because I was committed to wanting to be a national coach for Great Britain at that time in Africa. Athletics. And I did everything possible with the guidance of all those great national coaches from those those times in the in the seventies, uh, and became national coach for Great Britain in athletics, looking after the Midlands area and being in the team for Moscow, um, and then. One of one of the the, the the worst decisions of my life. Then I was uh, I was attracted to why, uh, why Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Why was that the worst decision of your life? To, to, to come to Australia was the worst decision. I should have continued learning my trade. You know, I was, a, I was too young anyway as a national coach. I should have stuck there and learnt and learnt and learnt to be a much better uh, mentor and guide and coach and all those things that national coaching brings to you. Uh, but I, like any young person, I got attracted by the, the offers that came from the Australian Institute of Sport that had been put together because Australia had had a disastrous 1976 games in Montreal and somebody started to do some smart things and decided to create this high performance center in Canberra and they had there were eight sports in there and one of them was track and field and Wilf, Wilf Pace was one of the guys that pushed my name forward and at, at what 30 four years of age, 36 years of age. I was all attractive. Go to Australia and and be the head coach of a big operation. Oh, big mistake. But anyway, that was uh, that. So I was there for five years uh, through the uh, the Olympics. There, I, I coached um, from the Great Britain and and the the Australian situation. I coached fourteen Olympians, uh, eight Olympic finalists, uh, world championship silver medalists. So that was a. It, it, apart from the mistake professionally, where I should have stayed as an apprentice and learnt my trade, uh, particularly the the political parts of, of these appointments, which. I wasn't very good at. Um, then uh, let, f- fell out with the national governing body um, uh, and then finished up going into rugby league. I just met some rugby league players from the Canberra Raiders. They needed some help in certain areas of, of their preparation because it was pretty dark ages stuff then. And we had a crack at it. And then the Raiders were good enough to, to put me on board as, as uh, a performance person in there with, with the team of coaches they'd got there. And we won the championship in 1989. We introduced new stuff to the Raiders. And at the time when I first joined the Raiders, Wayne Bennett was the, the, the coach. He'd come down from Brisbane to be the coach. And I, I got to know him briefly. But I got to know the players really well there. And we had a real crack at it. We started doing 
doing things different and doing different things and we really went after them and I think that gave them the edge. If you go and look at the 1989 Grand Final where we win it in extra time and we only equalised with a minute to go, they'd got this emotional and physical resilience and and I'm proud to see them do that. Then I left and, and Wayne took me up to Brisbane and I was six years at Brisbane and those were the, the halcyon days of the Brisbane Broncos, champions and the dynasty and all those kind of things. Uh, always wanting to coach athletics. So while I was we were working with the Brisbane to their their championship era, I was I was as a, a an honorary coach, a, a non-professional coach, coaching athletes still to the Olympic Games. So I was still having Olympians in 92 um, and then the World Championships in 97. So I was doing that as a hobby. I'd like gone full circle. Uh, I'd, I'd become a, I was a, a volunteer coach working at Birchfield Harriers and Sparkle Harriers in Birmingham way back when I was trying to learn to be a coach and then became a full-time professional coach uh, at the Institute of Sport with Great Britain, with Nike International and, and the big professional stuff and all the glamorous stuff that went on and then finished up re- returning back to being a, volunt- a voluntary coach. Um, that, that was like a full cycle. That still goes on today that my I'm volunteering to, to, to coach athletes uh, now in, in my dotage. Um, moved on for then, um, went back to the UK and looked after the London Broncos for four years. That was great, getting back home and, and working with them. Uh, went back, came back to Australia and became the, the head of performance at the Queensland Academy of Sport. Uh, and that was a, that's a real sharp operation. We won 65% of Australian medals in Athens and, and Beijing. Uh, we, we, we got it right there at the QAS. Uh, and that's where I met some of the best practitioners in, in the strength and conditioning world, as well as in the coaching world, that have been my friends you know, all the way through my life now. And they are, they are leading lights in the world, these people. Uh, left who, there who, and went who, to, who, would, who would you mention as part of that Colin? Well, Lachlan Penfold, who I'm pretty yeah. sure you've had on two or three times. Lachlan, met has. him as a 21-year-old, and the first words he said to me was, I want to be the best strength and conditioning coach in the world. I said, oh, well, okay, get on with it. And he's got on with it, and he's just a great bloke, and he's a great practitioner. Suki Hobson, who's with the Milwaukee Bucks for the last eight years and, and championships. Scotty Dickinson, that's worked with just all sorts. He ran the operation for uh, the, the Dutch Olympic Committee. Uh, he was one of the crew there at the QAS. Anthony George, he looked after the Hong Kong Institute uh, in athletics. Uh, Chris Gaviglio, that's just an enormous number of people. Michael Davey that went to the Milwaukee Bucks and has moved on to to, uh, Brigham Young. Just this crew that that I I, see, I, I learn from them today. Uh, that now they you know they they're in there they're at the top of the tree and I I know money phone call away from these this wonderful crew of practitioners that have every single day uh, are creating best performance uh, in their operations I moved on to be working for the Australian Rugby Union and that was a that was a really good we worked with the development group there we decided that it was a two thousand and two and I met. Um, I met the crew in there and, and the decision was we're looking at the 2015 World Cup final. So they decided and they were smart enough to look long term. Uh, and, and just to show you that, that, that this can work, uh, we, we um, 
out of the we've got the best 100 players in the country at 15 years of age and by the time 2015 came around 86% had played test for the Wallabies and inside that group was a higher performance group they were a bit more fast tracked and all 12 of those played 50 tests for Australia so we, we did find ways of technically tactically physically and behaviourally guiding young people from the age of 15 right through to the international arena unfortunately as most bureaucracies go they 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 fell over financially the australian rugby union the bureaucrats got hold of it and collapsed it and that entire system was was just folded so and that's uh, and then I, I, after that i just started working i came back to the uk in 2008 just to travel around and run as many courses as i could on all the things that I'd learned and, and really hooked in heavily with Scottish athletics and changed their coach education and changed the principles of how they were going about things. And and some of the coaches up there have grown exponentially, you know, through these, just approaching it from a different point of view. Um, and then came back in 2006, 32 Olympic cycles back home, uh, working across so many different sports um, in professional football and and all the rest of it, professional rugby, doing operational reviews for Bath and for Leicester and just stuff like that. And um, then got back in 2016 back here and have been pottering around ever since. <laughs> and I saw, I, I saw... You, I, asked, me you, the, you asked me the question. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw you at Sheffield Hallam in 2014, maybe? For a one, is it 14, 13? Oh, well, it could have 15? been, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Somewhere um, around there. Oh look! I, I did so. I met so many people and 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 so many great people as well. There were just people who were willing to to people who were willing to listen and people who were willing to share. And and I, I was lucky enough to come across so many. Well, the name of a, a, a guy that's so strong in that Sheffield Hallam, and I can't think of his name, but I know he's just doing extraordinary things. Um, and I look, I've forgotten his name now. But 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 a lot of very very good people in the UK trying their best against things which are thrown in their way by bureaucracy and, and they're, they're still fighting and I'm glad they are. Well, I know you've got a, you've got no, not only got an interest in the kind of sports performance side, but the community health and well-being as well. So in terms of the current systems, the current challenges for people, like you just mentioned, where are we at with that kind of battle to, to push well, both it, things it, forward from sports performance yeah, yeah. and community health. Well, where, where can we start on that? that? Before looking at any strategy to do with the youth of today, the first thing I think you've got to do, and I've been trying this with so many of the national governing bodies and can't quite get them to, to commit to it, and, th and that is to find the anchor points of what reality is out there in, in the teaching and the coaching world of our young people. Not, not what the adults have, the, uh, have imposed upon children, that the adult ambitions that they, but, but, but what the reality is that we're facing. Um, uh, and you mustn't think that this is a 2023 problem. I've been, me and the crew that I've always worked with have been fighting these battles for 40 to 50 years. This is not a new thing. So I'm always disappointed that it's 40 years later and we're still facing the same problems. 
what do I mean by these points of reality or these anchor points? So there's a decrease in the mechanical, metabolic and mental health of, and well-being of all young people in our communities. That, 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 them, them's the facts. We've got these massive participation drop-offs, 11 to 13 years of age across here in rugby league, for example, 38% of the participants are, are, are leaving between the ages of 11 and 13. And then between 17 and 19, just when these young people are beginning to enter the freedom of adulthood, adulthood we're losing up to 70% of them in participation. We've also, if you look at another anchor point, the number of injuries that we are seeing with these in these development age groups from six onwards to six to twenty. If you look at the injuries that are being sort of imposed upon these young people. If you want to look at some of the technical stuff in high performance, uh, then there's a lack of robustness in the technical models that they go and use in their participation and recreation and, and, and competitive sport. So if this is the evidence that you've got in front of you, then whatever strategies you come up with surely has got to be put together to try and eradicate or reduce those problems, not just perpetuate the same stuff. But what do we see when the adults, and it's our fault, what the adults, no matter at what age it is, see what I call the three R's, results, ranking and reward. Every, every activity, every word and the language and the vocabulary spoken to these young people in our physical education lessons or in our junior club coaching sessions in the evenings, everything is geared around results, ranking and reward, which creates ongoing critical stress points for this person that's just trying to navigate uh, their, their growth. And it's detrimental to the individual progression towards adulthood. It's, a, so, it's, a, it's easy to... Only if I could just say, if I've got a couple of things, if I just throw these things out to you now, just so you can see where the research is taking us to, and I, I might have to read some of these out because there's that many. The UK has got 4.8 million 8 to 14-year-olds. So let's just look at that group where we know we're going to get participation problems, injury problems, and all the rest of it. 79% are not getting the required amount of daily physical activity. 79%. But so you, 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 these statistics go on and on. I mean, I've got more here. 2.27 million boys in the 8 to 14 age group are not getting enough required physical activity. 2.34 million girls are not getting this, the, the right amount of physical activity. So just from the statistics of how much they are getting, we're in a woeful situation. And, and this is, these stats are from going back 40 years. But, but one of the keys for this is, that as you begin to discuss and debate the whole thing, is, is let's just not deal with how much physical activity they're getting. To me, the critical one that is not the how much they're getting, but what and how this is being done. What are these kids being exposed to by these adult ambitions that, that are being forced upon them? What's the progression that they're going on for the next decade or so? So, so if you go back to where since somebody took the physical out of physical education 40-odd uh, years ago, 
and decided in, in physical education in our schools and in our junior sports development to build everything around a competitive games-based solution, a competitive games-based solution. And we are forcing that, that we think it's the only vehicle that we can ever use to get kids moving, mechanical health, metabolic health, mental health. It, it, the only tool we've got in our toolbox is to give them a competitive winning-losing type of strategy. It's failed. It's failed for 40 years. So it's not conju- – well, let me summarise it. It, it. The three R's, results, ranking and reward, are not conducive to development. They're nice if you win a local championship or you – you know, it, 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 it brings about where you t- talk to somebody and you talk about a young person in their – 8 to 15 age group and you say well they're a high performance talent they are there's no such thing and that's the biggest problem it's the language and the vocabulary and the ambitions and the hunger of the adults being poured down into a and we're losing in two areas therefore we're losing in the health and the well-being of young people Forget forget the medal count. I know the medal count is good and it keeps people in their jobs and it's going to be important this year because it's an Olympic year and that's all you're going to hear. And it's only going to be for 1% or half a percent of, of all the people involved in performance. The huge amount of young people that need to be given the enthusiasm to move forward and keep on moving for the rest of their life so they stay active is vitally important. The results, ranking and reward, that's for high performance. But we have a bigger responsibility to the rest of the organ- of, of, of people in our community. Physical and mental well-being is a basic entitlement to every person on this planet, every child. Yet we as adults have, have pushed them down this, this pathway to... Uh, the, the, the narrow, quick-fixing, fast-tracking about competitive sports performance. And, and it's, a, it's a relatively new thing because when, when I was at school and going to in the, in the 50, from the 50s onwards, uh, our physical education was a robust one. It was based on the old army stuff. It, we were physically strong. We had to be fit, physically fit. And we, weren't, we didn't suffer from some of the problems that we see nowadays with our diet. But we, we were quite... And out of this general all-round physical fitness, we could then utilise that in our sports that we chose to go into, into our competitive games. But it was only a... a Uh, An outcome, the games were an outcome of this huge level of mechanical and metabolic fitness that physical education gave us at those times. But I'm afraid that that has all changed now. If I just go a couple of minutes and just read some of the stuff out here. Um, In the Australian situation, I know it'll be the same in the UK. In the last 30 years, the jumping ability of boys and girls has, has dropped by 11%. 
only 33% of the girls can, can, can master running actions. Only 40% can master catching. 32% of the boys can master a vertical jump. 59% can master catching and, and, and those kind of things. Those are those, those fundamental movement skills of uh, running, jumping, kicking, catching, striking, flotation. That, those, those become part of this journey we want to explore as much as we can. Only 40% of 12 to 15-year-olds are believed to have a healthy cardiorespiratory fitness level. Hang on, that's life and death stuff, that is. This could be the first generation since the First World War. It's not going to live as long as its parents because of the sedentary living they go through. The average five-year-old is estimated to be consuming their own body weight in sugar every year. Between 1998 and 2008, strength fell by 0.6% each year. Falls in muscular endurance were larger than 2.5% a year. These statistics go on. Half of the sports-related injuries that we know in all our emergency departments are between the 6 and 19 years of age. Children aged 5 to 14 account for 40% of all sports-related injuries. Adolescent sports injuries are on the rise in terms of the silent epidemic. Look, I can keep reading this all out here, but this isn't just me getting on my high horse, some old silly old fart that's talking about. This is research that tells us what we're doing to our children. Now, whether you want to send them on the pathway to high-performance sport, which is all nice golden trinket and all that stuff and all the money goes, or you want your child to have health and well-being for the rest of their life, they both start at the same place. So there, 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 there is no excuse. There is no excuse. I think one thing that I want to point out, and I hope you'll back me up here, the high-performance the, the, the high interest whether it's Chelsea, Arsenal, Northampton Saints, Bath Rugby, their that the bottom of their pyramid is participation. The bottom of their pyramid is physical fitness in schools. That's where they're picking from at eight, nine, ten, eleven. So if they if if we improve the that what you're just saying, it's going to improve. It's going to improve the the base that they're getting these kids at. To the high performance Absolutely. environment. It's a huge so, investment so, so, for high performance. If, so if that's, that, it, yeah, go on, sorry. Now I was just going to say, with that in mind, whether it's a high performance outlook with them clubs that I've mentioned and, and hundreds of others here in the UK, just here in the UK, or it's a participation, what is, what's the solution? I know there's not one solution, but what's your idea in terms of how this is, how that base level to keep people active, kids active through adulthood, and all these things get reduced, or they push on to high performance because they're both one and the same up to a certain point. They What's are. The solution? They're, they're exactly the same, and 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 so the the first thing to do is to make the you answer this question. If your development program and your high performance program look exactly the same, one of them's wrong. If all you're doing is watering down the high performance factors down to, and trying to force that into the children so you have a, a much you think you'll have an easier pathway to high performance, you're wrong. And you've been wrong for 50 years. So so that it, it's going to come down to who is wise enough and brave enough to change the mindset of the adults, the language of the adults. 
the, the, the vocabulary of the adults, the, the general outcomes that we are going to put down and applaud the outcomes, which is not ranking, reward and results. It's going to have to be something else. It's, it's going to have to be things like engagement. How can we keep engaging them every single day, this individual that, that, that keeps on turning up? How can we then progress them appropriately? Can we engage the individual in this group or are we just going to lump them all together and just wait till we see the, the, the one talent? Are we going to be able to progress them appropriately? I guess the other point is this. Are we going to spend a decade doing this? Are we going to put at the centre of, of what we do having consistently attractive progressive learning? If we had that as the central pillar of everything that we chose to do and chose to teach our teachers and chose to teach our coaches, so we had a new language and a new vocabulary that which gave us this new mindset that parents and teachers and coaches and, would you believe it, the kids themselves would start appreciating and being attracted to. It, it, it is, I haven't got the one, I mean, if you want to go even deeper than that, you've got to get into coach development and coaching development in sport and you've got to change it. And, and I don't know how long we're going to keep on talking about this, about coach development, but it ain't working. It hasn't worked for 50 years. For, for all the announcements that we see every sport do, so get ready, choose a sport, and I'll guarantee that within 12 months they would have announced or a minister would have announced, or another professional bureaucrat would have announced some whiz-bang idea to improve sport in this country. And no matter what they come up with and how much money of your money they spend on it, here's the following questions that, that are, I've, I've always done. So if you say... Okay, you've just done all that. I'll give you an example. Uh, Australian Sports Commission did this uh, two years ago, and it was, I think it cost them $400,000, and it, was this, it looked really nice. It was all well, nicely coloured in, and it was a good use of English in there, and it, it passed all the tests, and it was meaningless. Because when you ask the following questions two years later, well, is participation on the rise for all the kids? Uh, no. Uh, are injuries decreasing? Uh, now, is there a, an optimal transition from junior to senior uh, participation? Uh, no. Are, are these kids mechanically and metabolically efficient, consistent and resilient? Oh, no, definitely not. Are, are they technically efficient, consistent? Uh, no. Uh, what's being coached in the sessions? It is all. Uh, we got technical, tactical, physical, and behavioural being taught. No, it's just technical and tacticals because we've got to win stuff. And then when you pose the other questions, which are deeply embedded in this, such as, are we taking into account the biological level of every individual in that training session? They are all unique. That one size does not fit all. And you, you pose that question about maturation to them, and they go, I don't know what you're talking about. And then you ask the question, well, are the coaches using very sound learning tools from their toolbox, from implicit learning right through to explicit learning and, and the reverse of that? And they go, never heard of it. 
and then I guess you could finally say, now, where's the quality control coming from? How's the national governing body? Are they coming down to your club level and seeing you at the club and seeing how you are and watching what you're doing and mentoring you forward? And they go, no, no. Once we've paid for our certificate, we're on our own. So it's in those areas that the solutions have to be found from the overview of the mindset, the language, the vocabulary, right through what are we teaching our teachers and coaches? What are we wanting? What skills are we? And are we, once we've given them their certificate as a coach, took me three years to get anywhere near understanding how I've got to try and teach physical education. And even that wasn't enough let alone just doing one weekend for 250 quid and then just letting you loose and hoping that you can go and win the medals for people. Can't you see how it's just a nonsense? Yet there are, there are bureaucrats co- continuing this, pro- this process. The lucky thing is that it's a shame that it can't be formalised. Out there, there are a number, only a small number of practitioners that are thinking this way. They're thinking, hey, we've got to do this different. I've got to turn up tonight at this athletics club, judo club, swimming club, uh, hockey club, and I've got to do it different because this crew I'm working with are 11 to 13 years of age. I'm about to lose them. What can I do that's better? Who can I turn to to help me present much better learning environments so these this participation, we're not going to eradicate it, but we could lessen it. What about the injury and so on and so forth? So... The solutions are going to be from global uh, mindset, strategic looks of things, right down to, look, the the simple thing is this, for any administrator, go down to a club for the next six weeks and watch what's being taught. Just go and watch it. And and that's going to, and that will, that will give you nightmares. And and straight away you think you've got to start attacking the poor co- the, the 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 honorary coach out there, uh, and it isn't. You're the person. You're the 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 decision makers have used public funds to put together a strategy that does not work. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Kelvin. Hope you enjoy part one. So over in part two, we're going to have a little chat around the tools that should be in the toolbox of any coach. And when we say coach, that could be. PE teacher, that could be youth coach, that could be volunteer coach looking after a group of eight-year-olds, just coach. What tools should be in their toolbox? This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. Team Builder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30-day free trial. Also sponsoring this podcast is Vald. So I'm really proud to have Vald as a sponsor again. And after a recent visit to Vald HQ in Brisbane for their annual Vildcon event, it's incredible to see how far they've come as a company since I last visited uh, at the start of 2018. So from a very humble office, 
of less than 20 employees back then. It's amazing to see how far they've come. They now employ a global team of more than 200 that support clients across 100 countries, including many of the world's elite and professional sporting organizations. So an incredible uh, rise to where they are now. So this is a huge testament to just the impact they're having across the industry with their innovation, but also continued commitment to support clients. So if you're a performance practitioner, you probably know all about VALD, but if not, I'd recommend that you check them out at valdperformance.com. And now back to the episode with Kelvin. I'm just going to jump in. Just no, no, no. You're all right. You're all right. So as I'm as I mentioned, as as of, uh, thankfully I wasn't talking gibberish. That base of the pyramid not only feeds participation, but feeds the 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 pool the the pool that has been developed for that high performance thread. That thin high performance thread. Yes, yeah, the thick yeah. bit is the yeah, participation. Yeah, yeah. What can what can high performance spot? Because like you mentioned, that's where all the cash is. What can the high performance coaches, whether it's S&C coaches who have gone through a particular um, cycle of education, what can they do to help this bigger pool that they're actually fishing in? Is it S&C coached in schools? Is it well, like, what, I mean, it could it? be, but the worry is, if it, again, it isn't, it isn't, it's what I said a, a few minutes ago, it's not uh, how much of this change you're going to make, how much more physical activity you're going to give them, it's what physical activity you're going to give them. So in answer to that group of whether they're strength and conditioning, and that, the strength and conditioning uh, worries the pants off me uh, because that's another, it's another group that haven't addressed the journey of developing an all-round movement vocabulary, which is the general level, and then to begin slowly to move and shift towards a related to a certain sport activity, uh, action or posture, and then finally into the uh, actions and posture of the sport. That's a long journey, and you spend a long time in the general, a little bit less time in the related, and only a small amount of time in the specific. That allows this person coming forward to have movement literacy but it, it, so, so that's the first thing to say to whether they're strength and conditioning coaches PE teachers general coaches is to understand how do we develop movement literacy so what, what does that mean to you Kevin Kelvin what does that okay. what does movement literacy it, it, for it you it means a, a, a real understanding of what foundation movements are now, uh, uh, my terminology, the foundation movements are squat, lunge, pull, push, brace, rotate, hinge, and landing. Those and all their hybrids, all those make up this pool of things that children generations ago would go out and spontaneously play and practice. I wouldn't tell them how to do it, but they would just go out naturally. Well, uh, those days are gone. The kids aren't going to go outside and play. So once you accept that, that you are now really pushing it uphill because there's no backup. The only chance we've got are the schools and the clubs to do this general play, this all-round movement vocabulary. So that's the first thing. Am I teaching... The, fundament, the foundations of squat, lunge, pull, push, brace, rotate, hinge and landing and the combinations of these that go together. And secondly, am I then directing them 
intermittently directing these towards the fundamental movements of running, jumping, throwing, kicking, catching, striking, and flotation. If you ever go down to an organization, you watch, if you see people that are really understanding how the foundation movements, squat, lunge, pull, push, da 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 da, da feed into the running, jumping, throwing, kicking, catching, and striking, that is an art in itself to be able to not only teach and coach these foundation movements that to get these right and their hybrids and all the layers that you've got to work on and then try and feed those into running mechanics, throwing mechanics, catching and passing mechanics. That is the essence of every single sport. It's also the essence of every single physical action that a person's got to do in their life. That is the beginning. It's the bit that has been completely ignored. Apart from, I could. There's a few people, Jeremy Frisch, and another. There's a, there's a crew of guys out there um, who are willing to do this and are doing it as we speak. James Marshall down in Will, the Willen village in Devon, he lives off this stuff. The lock of twenty seven guys in the south of London, they start on this stuff. This isn't just a. Brendan Chaplin, that's up from your neck of the woods up in Leeds. Brendan, when he, we, we met, when I worked with the uh, the the, uh, the tennis association, lawn tennis association in the UK, he was one of their strength and conditioning guys. Brendan got that going as well. The the foundation movements, we had a real strong look at that. Once you see that going on, and we develop practitioners that understand this but then can deliver it. Now, this is the next part. Well, I've already mentioned one thing. Once you understand the foundation movements and the fundamental movements, then you've got to know, how do I put this into this decade-long minimum general to related to sports-specific journey? Remembering that only the super talented and the super interested are going to go all the way, need go all the way to the sports specific journey. But our problem is the only tool we've got in our toolbox is a competitive sports system. And so they say, oh, bugger the general. Let's get to the related. Oh, no, that's too hard. Let's go straight to the specific. Mum and dads want it so they can kick and, and jump and catch and do all this a lot better. And we bypass it because the, the threat of not winning, the threat of not being ranked high, the threat of not getting the rewards for performance mean that people just cast away the general and the related journey. And, and within that, the next set of things that you work on are whatever you're trying to develop squat lunge pull push brace rotate hinge and landing and all their hybrids and inside developing running jumping throwing kicking catching and striking inside there is another journey that you can go on and that is well the first thing you better do is get them efficient at doing that whatever the movement pattern that you're working on they need efficiency at that then they need to do that consistently not just once but all the time and then they've got to show the resilience of that movement pattern under things like speed fatigue and pressure so straight away if you if you brought to bear an understanding of foundation movements and fundamental movements and how to teach them and progress them 
appropriately over a decade and you use the tools of general to relate it to specific inside the tools of efficiency consistency and resilience you, you've got a chance and you but the thing that you mustn't forget that what glues all those together is sound learning tools the principles of learning how does a person learn something and you got 25 kids in the group they're all going to be learning in different rates you're going to get slow learners and fast learners slow adapters and faster adapters slower recoverers and faster recoverers they're all going to be different the tools that you're going to need and not just the tools to win the game at the weekend they are going to be these learning tools that glue all these systems together what i've just written there for you is, is something we wrote this we've got all this laid out ready for national governing bodies to try and 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 start to roll out to them to the coaches the volunteer coaches out there uh, and it, look it won't happen in my lifetime but it'll have to happen in somebody's lifetime certainly yours I would imagine. I don't know whether I've made any sense then, but those are the three layers. Foundation movements and fundamental movements, general to related to specific, in a sense of efficiency to consistency to resilience, all, all glued together by brilliantly sound, uh, evocative learning systems on a second-to-second -second basis in every training session and every, every PE lesson. We'll go on to PE teachers in a minute because I'm interested in that side of things. But we've got um, a video on the website of the head of academy sports science SNC at Chelsea, and they're they're looking they're almost going back to the like the you mentioned there about these kids are not getting exposed to the play that they used to. So they're going back to try in these high performance environments, like there's many out there I'm sure are doing, to try and kind of reverse that and, and and overcompensate for the amount of play that these kids in their academies have been exposed to so there's there is i'm sure there is this thing going on of accepting what is society and and, and high performance sport like almost taking a hit to try to develop that within their environments as well see i, I i'm not sure if you have to also accept that you you need to take a hit I I I think I still think that because it is such a small group that transition into high performance from from ta identified talent through to uh, the high performance and setting in there, it's such a small number. We're never going to change that. You're not going to suddenly have three quarters of the population knocking on the door for, with with the Olympic standard. But what you what you really want is 99% of the population being health, having great health and well-being, uh, and and how we can as adults city and now and and you, you you said high performance might have to take a hit gee it needs to take a hit if we're willing to put uh, all our children at risk while the only tool we have in our toolbox is competitive sport it's an it's an absolute nonsense so uh, I, I get it and the unfortunate thing is that the people that will make the decision to shift ground in a in a strategic point of view and a finance point of view the national governing bodies or or ministers of education and whatever these are the people that are, st are still worried about high performance taking a hit 
and they shouldn't be in their jobs. That they're not fit for purpose if that's the, what all you bring to the table. And, and this is where I come down and say, now all national governing bodies. There's an interesting thing happening in UK athletics. You know that UK athletics sank the ship many weeks ago, and it, it's just collapsed. And now coach education and coach development has now been just thrown out to England athletics to try and look after. Well, thank thank God there was somebody there. Now they are beginning to speak with that 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 the new newly assembled British Athletics Coaching Association driven by Mike Winch and 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 suddenly you get this slight chance the people that have crippled the sport hopefully they've sacked them all maybe this new group of people might suddenly now stop thinking there's going to be a hit to high performance and not worried about that but try and look after the general population uh, not in my lifetime but every now and again we get these chances and there's one happening now in England athletics. PE teachers. A little bit, we're going to have a little bit of time on PE teachers, and then we're going to, I'm going to ask you about the coach's toolbox as oh, okay. to finish us off. But, it, but for, for PE teachers, what? because that is what kids are exposed to. I mean, I've got a daughter at two and a half. So this, well, I was interested before when we spoke <clears throat> five, six, seven years ago. It's, 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 there's a personal impact now of all this kind of stuff Absolutely. because I've got a daughter who's going to school in uh, 18 months. So for, for, the, for PE teachers, what can we do? What needs to be done to have that regular exposure to the, well, this type of stuff that yeah. we're talking about? Well, you, first of all, go and see what's going on at the moment. Uh, and and I, I've been now back in Australia for... I, I'm seeing the Australian version of this now since 2016. Uh, when I was visiting lots of primary schools in the UK, uh, I found that they are very parallel where they are. When you look at the training of of the, 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 the primary school teacher, uh, they, they do, what, three hours on PE? <laughs> you got <laughs> so so the health Poor and the well being the, the health and the well being of the children uh, they're not serious about it. But we came across um, there was a place in in a, a really tough part of Birmingham. We went to we went into that school and we sat all the staff down and we spoke about the health and well being of the children. And then we we showed them what they could do. Uh, and we also did this down at um, where, where James Marshall down at the Willand School. He actually started going to volunteer to go in there to get the kids moving. And the minute we got the staff moving, they made a difference. They suddenly realised that this was fun. This wasn't difficult. We could understand all the different ways of presenting these this movement vocabulary. But unfortunately, it clashes with all the things that education think are important nowadays. And, and it get, if anything's going to get cancelled, it's physical education. So the first thing... It, that's one thing is how how the adults approach physical activity in the primary school. Remember that for fifty years we've ignored the status that that, that we, we we know about, and that is that children need sixty minutes a day of moderate physical activity, and we've known that for fifty years, and we we. We refuse to do it with the children. So it takes some some brave heads of department, some brave heads of school to suddenly say, 
there's got to be some things that we can take out of this program that we've got at the moment. It's not helping the kids. It's just helping some adult version, whatever it is going to be. Uh, get rid of it and put in 60 minutes of moderate activity. Then we've got to train the staff. So uh, the, the second part is to say, where are our, our teachers in, in primary school and secondary school coming from? Well, they're coming from, in many cases, the university structures. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, but... That that went down the toilet many many years ago. We, we now have these pseudo scientists coming out uh, that don't understand pedagogy. They don't understand learning tools. They don't understand where to stand, what to say, what not to say, how to give feedback. All the things that go with teaching and learning. They're not taught that. They're taught to get their degrees and to write their their papers and publish or perish. And if that's too uh, too much of a a generalisation, then I'll, I'll I'll put my hands up and say I'm wrong. But I, I've been through three-year teacher training for physical education way back in, in the late 60s, and we had to teach. We had to teach every day. We had to have children would come in and we would, we would teach ourselves in our group. They would have children come in and we'd teach them while we were being mentored. And we were, we were torn to shreds if we got it wrong. And we had to learn and do it again and again. Then we'd go out on teaching practice for six weeks. And we did that for three years. And your entire future life depended on you being a good teacher by being mentored by great teachers. Not writing another essay to get your master's degree, publish or perish, uh, and, and, you know, the, the pseudo-scientists that are coming out. So there's a, to answer your question, I don't know where, the answers lie in the decision makers, and I'm sorry they're not fit for purpose at the moment. It might come down to individuals. I worked at a school in, in, uh, in Stevenage uh, back in 2008, 2009, and the, the head of school there said, hey, I want to do this. This sounds really good, getting the kids engaged in stuff. And and we started to do this. We, were, we put what was called the five, five exercises in five minutes into the classroom. And then we, we used to make that happen in the PE lessons as well. We had to teach the teachers how to do it. The teachers grew uh, and the kids grew. And the whole thing, because of one person that was willing to just fight back against the, 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 the powers that be on some of this lunacy that's in our curriculum, at the moment and decided to do that and we watched these kids just just grow another leg to be honest but it was going to be short term because the next headmaster that came in or headmistress that came in had got some other thing that they wanted to promote and then they're certainly not promoting health and well-being as i mentioned there the last thing was what should be in a coach's toolbox and i think by coach we could mean someone in high performance, we could mean someone who's working in a primary school, we could mean someone who's working in a high school. In terms of the, what they should be going into practice, whatever that looks like, with with a toolbox, you've mentioned quite a few there, this may be a summary of what you've already said, but what should coaches who are going into youth environments be well, well, armed with? I've got, I've got nine things. That, that And the, the, the sad thing about just me and you chatting now is that unless you, you're in a room with these people and you're with them for a couple of days, several over several weeks, and you say, okay, get out your chairs. We're going to choose uh, 
uh, one of these tools here and you're going to practice it. You're going to practice it in pairs, then you're going to practice it in a group. We're all going to watch you. We're going to criticize it and help you out. Then you're going to do it again. Then we're going to come and do it again tomorrow. And you're going to keep practicing and practicing and you're going to make terrible mistakes and we're going to be here to support you and we're going to help you through this and we're going to build your confidence into these me and you sitting down and chatting about these now means means nothing at the end of the day but look let me try and add a few sentences to each one the the the, the first one is is i call it the individual all right so you, you've got to who are they where are they how are they? See if you can handle those straight away. Not just when you first arrive, but all the way through the session, the lesson, all the way through the week, the month, the cycle, the phase, the year, the decade. It never stops. Who are they? Are they at work? What are their work relationships? What are their families like? Are they, what, what relationships they're in? What goals and dreams have they got? What's their personality and character like? And secondly, they need to know that about you as well. You're in a partnership now. So you've just got to be very, very open and brave enough. They've got to be brave enough. Where are they? Well, what do you mean by where? Where are they in their maturation age? Are they an early developer or a late developer? Well, now that's a huge thing. Once we understand the maturation journey, that's a that's a that's a weekend in itself. Understanding that and being prepared to see this happen in front of you, with thirty kids in front of you, and all all operating at different levels of their maturation. What's their training age? How long have they been doing this? Two years, one year, one week, and they're all going to be different. And what's their general physical competence? Well, you overcome that by saying, right, we're going to squat, lunge, pull, push, brace, rotate, hinge and landing. We're going to do running, jumping, throwing, kicking, catching, striking. If you've got all those to do, we've got five years to do this. And then the other part of that first one of the individual, how are they? Look, as soon as they arrive, how are you? How was your day? Sleep all right? Eating okay? Anything sore or tight or hurting? Just ask them, and then you get an understanding. And if you've got to the point where they're willing to have a conversation with you, and you're willing to give up some time in the session towards this understanding, then it's going to make a difference. Now the, you're going to understand what's happening in front of you. But we, we, we get so, we, well, we've got to get on with the technical stuff because we've got to play at the weekend, and we forget that this is the, this is the human element that glues all this together in front of us. Uh, number two is understand the keystones. What, what do I mean by that? The, the keystones are those those central pillars uh, of a movement pattern or the, or, or a, an individual pattern inside the foundation movements or an in, or a, a collective pattern inside the, the the fundamental movements that glue everything together and. It's, it's really around which you build everything. Let, let me give you an... You, you can do... You need to understand the keystones of squat, lunge, pull, push, brace, rotate, hinge and landing. And you need to know the, the, the keystones of running, jumping, throwing, kicking, catching and striking. And it takes a long time to really to become au fait with those. But that's part, that's part of the job. Um, so let me give you an example now. Um, let, let, let's just deal with running mechanics. 
getting kids to run. It's one of those, the foundation fundamental movements. So my keystones for that, the ones that I've settled on after 50 odd years of doing this, might not be the same as what you might do. Mine are this, how, when and where the foot hits the ground and in what direction the foot comes off the ground. That's the keystone of everything I try. Every exercise and activity I do is all aimed around those keystones there. And for me, if I I take that to the next step, when I see that happening in front of me, it means toes up, heel to hamstring, step over the opposite knee. Those are three things that tell me how, when and where the foot hits the ground and what directly comes up. That becomes where I keep all my attention. And I aim at that. And I know if I get those optimal for this individual, those keystones optimal, and every exercise I do that supports that, from running, jumping, throwing, kicking, catching and striking, whatever exercise I pull in from uh, squatting, lunging, pulling, push, are all aiming slowly in some way, generally related, specific, efficiency, consistency, resilience, all aimed at those keystones that I've got. And my keystones have have been like that for probably the last decade or more now. All my sprinters and people involved in running activities, everything gears around that. That's where I finished up of understanding the keystones. And I've I've got to do that. Um, Number three... Prepare for what's coming next. Prepare for the session. So you've got to understand time management, space management, and equipment management inside this session. So remember, inside this session, you've got to manage time. You've got to manage time between technical, tactical, physical, and behavioral. Remember, we, we have got to keep a sport-specific element going on. The kids turned up and, uh, uh, to, to hockey to play hockey. They turned up to play rugby. They're playing rugby. There's got to be an essence in there of what's going. You certainly can't turn it into a gymnastics if they'd have gone to a gymnastics club if they wanted that. So I've got technical, tactical, physical and behavioural things to make sure now. Have I got enough time devoted to each one of those in the session? Now, the the emphasis of each one of those technical, tactical, physical and behavioural pillars will change and alter. This week, it might be better to spend a lot more time on the physical or next week, it might be more on the behavioural. So you've got to react to what's happening in front of you. But those become the things to do. And each one of those then, each one of that time management has got to handle general to related to specific choices that you make. It's got to be able to handle the efficiency to consistency to resilience that you're going to make. So with all these wonderful things in your head, am I going to manage my time in these 60 minutes, 75 minutes, 30 minutes to make sure I've given enough exposure to those? Then I've got space management. Is there enough space for this activity to be done well and safely? Is there enough space that there's no queuing going on? Is there enough space for you to coach in? You better coach by walking around. And then equipment management. Is it appropriate? Have you got enough? And where is it? So those are little things that have got it. So the number of sessions I've seen just explode on a coach because they didn't handle those time, space and equipment things before they turned up uh, is amazing. 
So uh, if you want to sum it up, you better get there early, prepare the training activity, plan the activities, but write them in pencil because whatever the kids will determine, the athletes determine what comes next. It's all right, you writing down, oh, I'll do five minutes of this and I'm going to move on to that. You go, hang on, they never got that. You better stay on that a little bit longer. So you've got to have this adaptability and flexibility on that and planning the activities. If you, as you get more experience, you'll say, well, we've done this before. We've done this, I've done this a thousand times. And I know that this is going to happen at this stage usually. And this happens next. This is what I normally say here. This is where they make their biggest mistake or this is where they have the greatest advantage they make. I'm getting used to that. So I make sure I'm ready for that as well. And then I've also got to be ready to put the brakes on. Could it, I'm going too fast or accelerate what they're doing and, and it could be an individual you might have to ex accelerate the activity for an individual who's flying or you might have to back it off with somebody else so you need to be able to turn the activity up or turn the activity down we might, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Calvin. We might have to cycle. I'm just conscious of your time on a Friday evening. Oh, no, so you I'm, may just... Well, should we, should if, we cycle? Too, if it's too long for you, you have to stop. I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm no that's no fine. Rush. Keep going. Keep oh, going. Okay. Keep going with the next... Yeah, keep going with the next okay. five, you, five. So, like I just said, what typically happens when I'm doing this activity? You'll remember it. You'll keep some notes. You, you'll, you'll think back on this. Oh, this is what normally happens here. I'm going to be ready for this one. And... The other part, where do I need to stand to look for this keystone? What am I going to look at? What part of the body should I look at? And what am I looking for that's going to happen here? Now, if you're new to this job, it's, this is going to be tough, this part. But as the years go by and you've got an open enough mind, you'll start knowing, I'm standing here for this one. I'll look there. This is what I think is going to happen. And... This is when you become a master at all this. Then you've got to plan the session itself. You've got to put it together. Now, I've just pulled up one in front of me here just as a reminder. This is a development age group. they got the attention span of a gnat. If you just start going on the, the, the same thing for long, long periods of time, you'll lose them. I've got in front of me a typical session here, and it is 10 five- to seven-minute units for this group of eight-year-olds. There's 10 different sections. That's going to, I'm going to keep their attention and I've got to try and cover all the things I've said before inside this. I'm going to do a warm-up. Uh, let's choose the, the... I've got one here to do with running again. Look, we could have done throwing or jumping. Okay, I've just chosen running. I'm going to do a warm-up. Then I'm going to do some general running, general stuff, running forwards and backwards and sideways. I'm going to do other locomotion of hopping and skipping and galloping. I'm going to run around in circles. I'm going to run around circles backwards. I'm going to run around circles while I'm skipping and I'm going, to, I'm going to do all these general activities then I'm going to work on some of the keystones I'm going to spend five minutes on the keystones of all the things I mentioned then I've got to do some of my physical work remember there's a physical component in this technical, tactical, physical and behavioural I've got some physical work to do the squatting, the lunging, the pushing, the pulling the bracing, the rotating then I'm going to apply what I've just done into some type of fun game 
fun, 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 fun. Relays and little games and they're, they're screaming and shouting. And, and, and then, I, all right, I'm halfway through the session. Then I'm going to start again. I'm going to go back to the general running for five minutes. And then the event-specific keystones for five minutes. Then the physical for another five minutes. Then I'm going to apply it into some type of fun activity. Then I'm going to warm them down. So I've got 10 units that have gone on there satisfying all the things I've got to do. If it's with the 14-year-olds, well, I'm probably going to do eight times eight-minute sessions. I can spend a little bit longer because their attention span is a little bit better. So how you piece together this, broadly speaking, and you've got to do it in pencil, you've got all these things to go through. You've got to be able to piece it together in the session. Remember, you're never going to lose sight of who are they, where are they, how are they. And all that will influence how you create this looking lesson or session that you're going on. The whole point is that you're going to fit this program to these athletes. The opposite has never worked. So that, that becomes one of the things you've got to have this adaptability and flexibility on the exercises you choose, the activities you choose, how long you do it for, the, 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 the implications you expect from it, the outcomes you expect, da, 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 and all those things. You've got to fit it to what's happening. Change it on a second-to-second -second basis to fit with what's going on. So when you've got those little boxes of five minutes, you then need a good toolbox full of all the things you're going to populate it with. So... I mentioned before, when I'm doing general running, I can, I, I, it's locomotion. I can run forwards, I can run backwards, I can run laterally, I can do it with high knees, with low knees, with feet close to the ground, with feet off the ground, I can do it with arm action, one arm action, no arm action, I can do it in clockwise around the circle, backwards, I can do skipping with a rope, I can do, I can do hopping and leaping and galloping activities. Oh, I've walk, I've trillions of these to do in the general stuff so you need a toolbox full of all these to go and populate these five minute blocks you've got and you, you'll slowly build it up as time goes by and again if we look at this at coach development this is what should be taught to all the coaches out there and and there's resources given to them number five is before you go on to number five kelvin yeah i mentioned i've got a two and a half year old and this is the pressure of a podcast host I'm, I can I can hear her waking up. Okay. So and that's yeah. all right. That's all right. That's fine. We've I've got a couple more minutes. Yeah. Is that all right to to rifle through the next? Okay. Four or five? Well, if I just give you the that, titles of them, and I've mentioned perfect. one. Love that. You, you, you've got to be able to turn the exercise up and turn the exercise down. You've got to be able to advance the exercise. You've got to be able to retard it based on what's happening in front of you. Don't you don't choose how fast they can learn it. You can't do that. And that's where the old ideas of you do what they can do, what they can do, what they can do, what they can't do. Whoops, that fell over. Go back to what they can do. Manipulate those. Uh, understanding the tools of progression, which means you can go from static to dynamic, slow to fast, simple to complex, big to small, unloaded to loaded. You, you, you've got all those that you can choose to add other layers to all these activities as well. Um, I've got. I guess that these next these next six are important. You've got to use. You've got to be able to manipulate the task in front of you to suit what's going on. You've got. You can use analogies as you try and create pictures to them. You can get them to do an external focus. You can get them to use their observation skills with their partners. 
you, you, you bring variability into the, the way that you teach. And then finally, you give them feedback. The, the, these because it's these ones that we need. We could do another day and spend some time on what these are. But can I just? I won't go on. The, 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 let me get to the one that's really important, which is the is the uh, is the feedback one. I've got that. I've got that somewhere, so I don't. I don't spend too too long doing it. So f- feedback. When are you going to feedback? What are you going to feedback and how are you going to feedback? And it, it, you've got to understand those things. Feedback isn't just saying, oh, I did that wrong. It, feedback is to, the first thing is to, is to start with what's going right. If they look to you and say, look, I've just tried that, then you start with what's going right. If they're a young, you never try and give them feedback while they're doing it. That's the last thing they want is your voice bearing in their ear when they do it. And and if you're going to give, try and choose words that 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 give them pictures straight away. So doing analogies always helps on that. I had a high jumper, Nessa. We had trouble at bar level, and we spent months and months and months. She was she she she, she, she was one meter seventy tall, and she jumped one ninety eight. She jumped twenty eight centimeters over her own height for Australian record holder. And we were struggling at some bar stuff. And one day I said, "Cross the bar like a frog." Now just making that strange analogy for some reason went off in her brain, and she found some answers. So. The way you feedback is probably use analogies, ask them questions more than give them instruction, and try to try and do it in a way that's that that. And the minute you ask questions of them, that's a lot better than just shouting at them. And and things like try harder, go faster, are, are meaningless. That that's not feedback. <laughs> Be careful when you feedback and how you feedback and what you do. We could spend we could spend days on feedback, basically. Look, I'll, let, let me. That's really the, the final one is reflection. The, the, the reflection is 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 in a continuum. After three or four minutes, you better say to yourself, "Is this working?" <laughs> Don't wait till tomorrow. Is it working? Have I engaged them all? Are they all learning? Is this fitting with what we want you to do? So you've got to reflect straight away and then go, oh, this is working. If it's not working, you've got to come up with another way. Then reflect at the end of the session. Did I engage them all? Was it fun? (laughs) Did Did they look like they want to come back again? Did they all progress in a certain way? Have I taught them that... Progression isn't winning. Progression is, look, your grip was a little bit, I was with some golfers the other day, and they they were saying, well, how would you know if you're improving? Oh, our scores get better. No, no. Remember, your grip was a lot better in the backswing today than it has been, or your your feet moved correctly uh, a little bit better this time, or the your your posture was a lot better. So we start looking at personal bests inside what's going on rather than the outcome straight away. Look, I'll, look, I'll stop there. We could go on. There's a so lot. Good. This, this is the vitally important stuff. Is this these learning tool situations? Um, uh, maybe another time we could go through them. But absolutely, there's is, nine is of those, one, and they're, they're the ones that glue all the rest that I've been talking about together. Is there anywhere that you do these presentations, Kelvin? Anywhere that people can, is there anywhere that people can get these presentations that you've done? Or on the website, or no? No, no, I, I don't do it. No, okay. I cool. did. 
I did this this one we've just been talking about. I did the International um, Coaches Association, uh, International Federation of Athletics Coaches. I think two years ago, I did this presentation just on these learning tools. I did it. So on the IFAC site, I don't know whether it's free or not, but I know I did a presentation where I shared the screen and I could spend, and I got some videos to show and illustrate some of those things I've just been saying. You know, it's best if you see pictures of it. I don't know how, I did see on this when I looked that you can share a if we yeah, could share a screen. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it. We'll keep it as audio because it goes. It goes to iTunes and. Yeah, oh, okay. You're fair. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we I'll, do I'll, need to I'll, talk I'll, through these a bit more. Anyway. I'll have a little look. I'll have a little look on the IFAC website, and I'll if I can find it, I'll I'll drop a link in there so people oh, can look. People yeah, can, because it, yeah, free I, I, free or paid, I'll I'll stick it on. People can make yeah, a choice. I, so IFAC 2021. I did it with Frank Dick and whatever. Uh, good crew that we worked together there. So I did that, and I think it took me. I think it went over by five minutes as usual. <laughs> well, as Calvin. Usual. I'm going to let you get on with your Friday evening, and I'm sorry uh, to interrupt. I'm no, sorry no, to it's interrupt. No, no, it's been brilliant. I was talking to you. It's great. No, thank you, thanks, thank you for the opportunity. I, I, it's really no, good no, of me my, to do that. My, my pleasure, my pleasure. And I'll link to all your social media and your website and all that kind of stuff where people can learn a bit more about you. Oh, yeah. I, I've, a, wrote, I've, I've put a lot of my articles, which cover a lot of this, on my website, and I've got them on LinkedIn as well. So feel free to have a look at them and throw them in the bin if you need to. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm going to let you get on your Friday evening. Thank you very much. Okay. However many years it is after you came on the first time, five, six, seven, I appreciate you coming on. It's a, it's a, always a pleasure to speak to you and, and be inspired about the things you say. So, um, yeah, Thank really you, appreciate Rob. it. Thanks, Thanks for saying that. That's nice of you. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks, mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 481 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So anyone that's come across Kelvin before knows of what a legend he is. And some information in this episode and in the episode from number 84, absolutely priceless. So big thanks to Kelvin for coming back on and giving us a fresh perspective and a fresh insight of where we're at when it comes to youth athletes and just our youth population. So big thanks to Team Builder, Rock Daisy, Val Performance and Hytro for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate all their support. Big thanks to you for tuning in and look forward to chatting to you next time.